0: Hello everyone, I'm H.P. Braincase.
1: And I'm JR Skinny Cat.
0: And welcome to ReDCAU, the DC Animated Universe rewatch podcast. Or, for those of you who might be hooked on phonics, Red, Red Cow. Cow. Just as a note up top, uh, as far as our watching order for the DC Animated Universe is concerned, we're going to be going in approximately production
1: order for everything,
0: with a few exceptions made to keep continuity intact.
1: Our first episode that we're covering is on leather wings, uh, or as I like to call it, Batman vs. Batman.
0: It's actually Man-Bat, Kirk Langstrom.
1: Whatever, man.
0: Bat. Anyway, uh, this episode was written by Mitch Bryan and directed by Kevin Altieri, and is the first official outing into the DC Animated Universe. We're immediately acquainted with the fact that technology in the DC Animated Universe is a little weird with a police blimp or Zeppelin. We get a nice panning shot of the Zeppelin, and everything seems quiet until a half-bat, half-human creature flies right past it. And we get a couple of lines from the guards inside, including the first line ever spoken in the DC Animated Universe by Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. He's also the blimp operator with glasses. Huh? Kevin Conroy. Batman and Bruce Wayne. His uh, his first line in the whole series is actually as the blimp operator that has glasses. Seriously? Yes. <laughs> okay, that's funny. We're treated to a little banter from the guards and then a really nifty scene as the blimp crests up through the clouds for them to look for Man-Bat.
1: Yeah, my favorite thing about this scene was how realistic the moon looked (laughs) in contrast to (laughs) the rest of the entire episode. (laughs) Like everything, even the clouds look super fake, but the the moon is just, it's like a totally different artistic style. It's weird.
0: Yeah, the whole look of this series is super weird. Uh, This is something we've talked about off podcast before, but the entire series is actually animated on black paper.
1: My my favorite, favorite thing about the artistic style, though, is it's really, really Art Deco-inspired, and I just love that style, and it's super sexy to me.
0: So after the blimp scene, we get a look at the outside of Phoenix Pharmaceuticals, and then it transitions inside to a guard walking around, uh, tape recording himself to be some sort of radio personality, and then we hear Breaking Glass as Man-Bat breaks in, and the guard goes to look for him. We get the classic moment where the guard thinks nothing's going on, and then he gets ambushed by Man-Bat, and his tape recorder flies away under the desk, still recording. Uh, And then Man-Bat throws him out a window into the river that's conveniently running alongside Phoenix Pharmaceuticals (laughs) so that he doesn't fall and die on the street below. The next scene we get is in the mayor's office, uh, where we're introduced to a few new characters and a newspaper headline talking about a uh, bat creature assaulting a security guard. Then we get to hear a conversation between the mayor, Commissioner Gordon, and Harvey Bullock about Harvey establishing a task force to hunt down Batman uh, against Commissioner Gordon's wishes. And we have a nice little cameo from Harvey Dent, who will become important later in the series. Oilers. I mean, this series is... <laughs> 14 years old, and (laughs) Harvey Dent's character is even older. I don't think it's spoilers at this point. Uh, Essentially, Dent promises Bullock that if Bullock can catch Batman, Dent can put him behind bars.
1: So right off the bat, I hate Bullock. He's sloppy, he's annoying, he's sleazy, and I think his main objective is to get Batman when maybe he should be focusing on other things that are more important to the city. I
0: agree. Uh, He's kind of a jerk. After the scene in the mayor's office, we cut over to our very first look at the Batman himself. Uh, Though he's actually looking at the same newspaper that was in the mayor's office with the headline Bat Creature Assault Security Guard, I think is what it reads. Mm. He reads it out loud and goes to put it down, and we're introduced to another character. Alfred Pennyworth.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, Alfred is true to form in just about every version we've ever seen him, making quips at Batman's expense. Yeah. Uh, in this case, accusing him of reading a certain self-help book.
1: Yes, except he uses the wrong title. He says how to make friends and influence people when the real title of it is how to win friends and influence people it's by dale carnegie it was written in 1937 and it is one of the top selling self-help books out there people look to it even today for guidance
0: yep and we find out that there's been some additional robberies as well from other pharmaceutical companies uh, though they were kept a lot quieter because there were no injuries and so batman gets up to go investigate And we get the first sort of nod towards his uh, alter ego, Bruce Wayne, with Alfred saying he's going to cancel plans that Mr. Wayne had with Bambi, uh, which which is also a reference to the fact that as Bruce Wayne, he really lives it up as a sort of millionaire playboy uh, to further distance that identity from Batman. When Batman is leaving the Batcave, we get our first look at this version of the Batmobile as well, which is a sort of brick-shaped Bat-themed car with a jet engine coming off the back, a lot like the car from the 1989 movie as far as the engine is concerned, but uh, otherwise very much a simple look sticking with the Art Deco style of the series. And we get to see Batman breaking into Phoenix Pharmaceuticals where he is spotted by a couple of scientists who appear to be getting ready to have sex in the hallway, as far as I can tell. (laughs) They call the police, and we get a short scene of Harvey Bullock in his car getting a call from the dispatch, and then we cut to the next scene, which is Batman sneaking around looking for stuff, and he sprays some sort of magical red spray and then puts on a visor that he clearly stole from Cyclops, from the X-Men. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And is able to see the guard's footprints, which lead him to the tape recorder, and also some fibers on the desk that he picks up with a pair of tweezers that at first glance
1: look like twigs. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Like plant matter. <laughs> what does this have to do with a bad creature? <laughs>
0: Then we're treated to a montage of the police showing up to the building in their super weird swap mobile and assaulting the building to try and capture Batman, who handily escapes, though the cops do manage with a tear gas grenade to completely blow up the third floor.
1: Yeah, there's this scene here where Batman kind of jumps down the elevator shaft to get away from the police, and it was a point where I was really happy with the music, because it ties in so well with what's going on, and just... As a note overall, the music through the episode was just fantastic, and I felt like it really very accurately depicted whatever action was going on. If there was sneaking, or if there's a chase scene, or danger, or victory, or evil, whatever it was, the music backed it up and really made it a more immersive experience. The composer uh, of the music for this episode is Shirley Walker. And I really got to give her a shout out. I've never heard of her, but she's amazing. Like, oh my God, looking her up just really got me excited. She was a pianist. She, she passed about 10 years ago. She was a soloist for the San Francisco Symphony while she was in high school. How cool is that? And then she continued to work in the music industry the rest of her life, doing a bunch of music for the DC Universe, uh, whether it was conducting or being the orchestrator or composing. And she was just always very involved in different music committees. She's a two-time Emmy Award winner. This lady is incredible. So it was really exciting to to listen to her music through the episode.
0: And it's cool because you're going to get to hear a lot more of her. She has composer credits basically throughout the rest of the DC Animated Universe, including 57 out of the 85 episodes of Batman. So, going to get to hear a lot of Shirley as time goes on.
1: And and a side note. Danny Elfman made the theme. We all know the theme. We all love the theme. I love Danny Elfman. He's one of my fake husbands. Love that guy. But holy shit. Like, Shirley Walker, man. (laughs) I'm really impressed with this lady.
0: Yep, and this wouldn't be the only time she worked alongside Danny Elfman's stuff, either. She was a conductor on the 1989 Batman film and several other things that he worked on.
1: Edward Scissorhands.
0: Pays to know people, I guess. All right, following the explosion and Batman's escape from the police, we are treated to another first for the series. There's going to be a lot of those because it's the first episode. Bruce Wayne. (laughs) standing outside of the Gotham Zoo, where he goes in to talk to Dr. March in the Bat Exhibit. Dr. March, voiced by someone who some of our listeners might recognize, Rene Auberginois, which, while the name may not ring a bell, was the actor for Odo from Star Trek Deep Space Nine.
1: Dr. March, I am convinced, is in the future going to be revealed as either Penguin's brother or cousin. Their noses are identical
0: I'm sure that has nothing to do with the same animators working on multiple episodes of Batman the Animated Series and that you're absolutely correct. I'm sure. Following a tense conversation with Dr. March, who is completely obsessed with bats and how they're going to survive the next cataclysm-level event on Earth...
1: Like cockroaches.
0: Yep, bats and cockroaches. We're introduced to his daughter, Francine Langstrom.
1: She is my current animated female crush
0: all right it's been slim pickings this episode but
1: (laughs) yes it is it's
0: fair so far we've had female scientist Uh and francine langstrom who is also a female scientist (laughs) now that i think about it following francine we're introduced to kirk langstrom who is apparently a graduate of the william shatner school of voice acting and also is clearly the bad guy i knew because i've i've seen the episode but come look at him He's, his he's, face is all points.
1: Because he's so handsome and nice. He has nothing but pointy face and Shatner talk. He's clearly the bad guy. And uh, we're also introduced to the bat that lives in the lab. And side note, we were watching this episode with Nova on my lap, and he was alerted at the sound of the bat, but not of the man bat.
0: For those of you who aren't familiar with us from other places around the internet, Nova is our fat orange and white marbled tabby cat. (laughs) So Bruce leaves a sample of what turns out to have been bat hair, that was the twig thing from earlier, with Dr. March for tests, who resents being asked to do this just because Bruce donates to the museum. Bruce also leaves a cassette tape with Dr. Langstrom, which he claims is sounds he heard from his chimney. It's actually the recording from the pharmaceutical company that he found that happens to contain the call of the man-bat. And Dr. Langstrom says he will look into it and that the animal behavior people at the museum have a sound library that he can compare it against.
1: I love it that they say animal behavior people. It's like the writers didn't know what to call animal behaviorists at the time.
0: Well, it was 1992. And, you know, things were weird. Anyway, we cut back to Bruce Wayne in the Batcave dressed as Batman and feeding the information from the samples into the Bat computer when he gets a call, which Alfred picks up, and it's from Dr. March.
1: Which, you know, I want to say, I'm convinced that Alfred is either a robot or an alien because he screened that call way too quickly. Like, he answered the phone and just knew who it was and passed the phone over. I mean, maybe the bat computer has caller ID. I I don't know.
0: So, Dr. March tells Batman that the hairs are just from the common brown bat and that the sounds on the tape recorder are a mix of brown bats and starlings who are fighting over a nest in his chimney. Uh, He proceeds to then hang up the phone. Uh, I'd like to note here that... that Batman has this entire conversation with Dr. March in his Bruce Wayne voice. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as he hangs up the phone, switches back to his Batman voice, (laughs) which I wasn't (laughs) super smooth. Uh, Kevin Conroy actually used a voice modulator for that voice, but he switches back to his Batman voice. For Alfred's benefit?
1: Right, yeah. I'm, and he's always in costume at home. It's yeah, weird. I mean,
0: <laughs> he's he's dressed as Batman so he can leave on a moment's notice. Okay. I've got that.
1: He just keeps his belt off.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but he switches back to the Batman voice for no reason. Anyway, we find out that he has compared the hair sample already to every known species of animal, and it didn't match the brown bat, and he has the bat computer compare the sound from the tape recorder to a combination of starling and brown bats, and it says, nope, not not what was going on there. From which he concludes that Dr. March was lying, and he's gonna find out why, squinty badface face. Bum, bum, bum. I do like the scenes in the bat cave, because they really well illustrate the fact that this is animated on black paper Mm. because they use negative space a lot Mm -hmm. alfred's wearing a black tuxedo batman's cowl is black the backgrounds are black so anything that you see on screen that isn't black is what they had to draw in right which is a really nice touch and it overall i really like that stylistic choice for the series we then cut to a silhouetted figure in the lab at The Gotham Zoo messing with some chemicals and then mumbling to himself about how he can't take it anymore and proceeding to down some sort of vial and pick up the bat that lives in the lab and take him to another room, which is convenient because that's when Batman sneaks in through the window and then hears someone coming back. The door opens. Turns out it's Dr. Langstrom, who immediately goes, who's there? And Batman
1: just pops out of hiding. <laughs> They're both very upfront in this scene. You know, Batman just reveals himself, and then Doctor Langstrom reveals his plan.
0: Yeah, Doctor Langstrom does the classic thing of the villain monologuing his own plan. Right. Uh, there is a there is a cool moment where he's walking on the other side of the table from Batman, and there's a bunch of lab equipment, and he walks past a couple of flasks that warp his face.
1: hmm I like that too.
0: Which is sort of foreshadowing for what's about to happen to him, where he reveals to Batman that Dr. March had theorized a way to create an entirely new species, but was too cowardly to go through with it, something that Langstrom had no problem with. So he <laughs> stole a bunch of chemicals and genetically modified himself. We get a cool scene where his voice gets a lot of reverb, And his face turns into a disco. Uh, It just flashes a bunch of different colors. Mm -hmm. And then we get a Jekyll and Hyde transformation from Dr. Langstrom into the Man-Bat.
1: And I thought that Batman's reaction to uh, his transformation was was pretty funny.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was pretty accurate, I think, to what anyone would do when somebody starts transforming (laughs) into a... Oh,
1: (laughs) God! Yeah.
0: So... Uh, Dr. Langstrom transforms, his lab coat and shirt tear off, but luckily not his pants. <laughs> this is a kid's show, after all. Uh, and then we get treated to a very brief fight scene between the two of them, mm-hmm. where Man-Bat knocks a table over onto Batman and is going to kill him when Francine walks in, and Man-Bat is clearly ashamed of the monster he's become.
1: Yes, very.
0: Yeah. he. Lo- they really captured sad animal.
1: Yeah, without words.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. it was just the look on his face and the the way they drew him. And he goes to fly away. Batman attaches a grappling hook to his leg as he's flying away, which pulls him out from under the desk, and they crash out of the window. And we get another sort of really cool scene that's just Man Bat dragging Batman (laughs) through the city in the air. (laughs) They fly past the same blimp, Mm -hmm. and we get a bit of them flying around it and Batman being trailed along. There's an interstitial scene where Harvey Bullock finds out that Batman has been sighted again and calls for a helicopter and goes to board it, only to find out that Commissioner Gordon is sort of taking over and Harvey can come if he wants, but not without Gordon. So they get into the helicopter and they're flying away. And then we get to see their reactions to seeing both Batman and the Mm -hmm. man-bat, which is... From Bullock, a uh, complete surprise. And from Gordon, smug satisfaction <laughs> that Batman isn't Man-Bat, mm-hmm. I guess. The scene sort of comes to a head with Batman climbing up onto Man-Bat's back and covering his eyes and repeatedly punching him in the head.
1: I thought I saw him, like, grabbing his mouth. See, so, yeah, it looked
0: to me like he went to do, like, a chokehold, but caught him around the eyes instead and then was just pummeling the back of his head. Oh, yeah. Just repeatedly, and then Man-Bat flies into a wall that looks like stucco, but has brick underneath, we find out. And we get to see something when they fall down to the ground that we will never see again in the DC Animated Universe. The entire thing. Batman bleeding. What? Yep, Batman has blood on his face in this scene, and this is the only time in the entirety of the DC Animated Universe that we will get to see Batman bleeding. And this is a scene that Bruce Tim had to fight for oh. to get past the censors because it was deemed inappropriate for children. Oh, But he felt that it was very important to setting the tone for how the show was going to play out.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I, I thought we were a bunch of wusses these days. I had no idea that uh, there were censoring issues with a, a little drop of blood back then.
0: Yep, so Batman stands up, looks into the proverbial camera even though it's all animated uh, and we get to see his face highlighted by the spotlight from the helicopter and batman picks up the body and runs away from the cops again which i think that's going to be pretty standard for batman going forward you know withholding evidence and he's not really a good role model you know in some ways (laughs) obstruction of justice and all that
1: yeah but i i kind of expected him to just like tie him up and leave him for the cops I was kind of surprised that he brought him back, and I don't know, maybe it was just because of Francine Langstrom that he saved this guy.
0: Yeah, we are treated to a scene of him in the Bat Cave with a man-bat unconscious on the table, and he seems to have found out a way to reverse the transformation, is what we get from a conversation between him and Alfred. And then we go back to the Gotham Zoo, which I would like to note a really good continuity detail. They show us the outside of the lab at the Gotham Zoo from far away. Mm -hmm. The window is still broken from where Man-Bat flew through it. Oh,
1: I didn't notice. That's cool.
0: Yeah, they, they, they got that piece right. And Batman hands over the newly cured Kirk Langstrom to Francine. And she says, you know, is it over? And he's like... For now, or th- this time, or something like that, uh, and Kirk Langstrom doesn't get arrested or anything, and then the credits roll, <laughs> which is a little weird. Crime and no punishment is not really Batman's mo.
1: Yeah, that's that's what I think.
0: But yeah, so we come to the end of our first outing into the DC Animated Universe, and especially you know Batman the Animated Series, which is a really cool refresher for me. I watched a ton of this. Uh, when I was a kid growing up, Batman and all the series that come after it. Batman Beyond, Superman, Justice League, everything. Uh, this is your pretty much your first exposure, though, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely my first. Um, I was surprised to find out that it came out in 1992. That's when I was seven. And so it just seems like it would be the perfect time for me to be watching this sort of thing. But I actually didn't know it existed back then. I don't... I. I blame my parents, <laughs> but it's, it's cool to be able to go back and, and see what was going on back then and how it has turned into the franchise that it is today.
0: I agree. So I think it's time to put a button on on Leather Wings, and the way we're going to do that is we are going to rate this episode. Out of 10 cows, we will give a rating to sum up how we felt about the episode and whether or not we thought it was enjoyable. Uh, I think we both agree Mm -hmm. on this one. Mm -hmm. So, how many cows does On Leather Wings receive? Seven. Seven cows. Seven out
1: of ten cows.
0: I would call that a dark pink cow. (laughs) Ten being a full red cow, (laughs) and one being a chocolate cow. (laughs) Thank you, everybody, for joining us for our first episode of Re DCAU. Uh, We're looking forward to hearing your feedback, what you thought about the format of the podcast and Mm -hmm. any improvements we can make.
1: Next time on Read DCAU, we'll be reviewing the episode titled Christmas with the Joker. If
0: you enjoyed our conversation and you want to find more of us, uh, we stream together every Sunday at twitch.tv slash hpbraincase where we play horror games together. And just a reminder, this podcast as well as the streams are brought to you by your support, over at patreon.com slash hpbraincase. Thank you to everybody for your support.
1: You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at JR Skinny Cat.
0: And I'm at HP Braincase. And until next time, may your nights be dark and your cows be red.
1: Bye.